Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another episode of Historically Badass Broads. Quarantine edition. Yes. Um, if you hear creaking noises, Maura's <laughs> house is haunted. Yes. Deeply, deeply haunted. Um, That's it. We don't know who. Mm-mm. It's probably some historically badass broads trying to listen <laughs> into the episode. I actually wish it were. I think it's probably more some like disgruntled banker from what I know of the history of my apartment building. But it's always a disgruntled banker, isn't it? Nevertheless, that's the random. It's it's always a disgruntled banker. Yes. <sighs> time and time again. Mm, I'm tired of you. it. Simply yeah. tired. Well, let's not focus on them any longer. Today we're doing a first part of my second favorite person ever in history. And there's a reason we're doing her today. And that's because there's been a TV show released on Hulu called The Great that has a little something to do. And I literally say a little something to do with my one love, Catherine the Great. And I thought it would be really fun to actually hear about her life. Yay. Oh, you're so So, talking about the show. (laughs) Hey, 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 hey. It was beautifully (laughs) produced. The costumes were lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just think, as you will hear, oh, that mm-hmm. disgruntled banker, man. Okay. I, as as you will hear, she is such, so many things happened in her life that were so out there and extraordinary. I don't really know why we had to change them. Sure. I like, th- the I, real I would truth. like to put it out there that I find it funny. What? <laughs> <laughs> you love her history so much that the show just you just couldn't you couldn't do it you know it, it was hard to watch but I it love that like, about you that's what I'm saying I love that <laughs> I, I'm appreciative of that um it's like watching Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812 when War and Peace is my favorite book it's it's oh, hard wow. okay yeah. yeah 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 it's hard as a person you know, who like, who you know is more more about the art side than the history side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never experienced this issue, and I find yeah. it highly amusing that you, <laughs> you go about life like this. I really do. I'm grateful that you find it amusing. Um, it is my crusade. So <laughs> I'd like to start to give you a taste. Um, I've, for the purposes of our podcast, reread her memoirs again because they are just comforting to me. <laughs> Such an excuse. And I'm always looking for one. And it's such an extraordinary thing that we actually have memoirs that this person wrote. Um, so wow. this is how she begins the third edition of her memoirs. Um, this is a quote that she has put in there. Fortune is not as blind as people imagine. 
It is often the result of a long series of precise and well-chosen steps that precede events and are not perceived by the common herd. In people, it is also more specifically the result of qualities, of character, and of personal conduct. To make this more concrete, I will make the following syllogism of it. Qualities and character will be the major premise, conduct, the minor, fortune or misfortune, the conclusion. Here are two striking examples, Catherine the second, Peter the third. So on May 2nd, 1729, in a little bit of Prussia that's now Poland, that has a town name I can't pronounce, <laughs> a young a little baby was born whose name was Princess Sophie Frederica Augusta von Anhalt Zerbst of like Ornberg. We love that name for her. We do. We really do. And it's like the most Prussian German thing that can happen. Love it. In the memoirs, Catherine writes of her childhood, I see nothing of interest in it. <laughs> so <laughs> all I will say is she was born to uh, Princess Johanna of the Holstein Gottorp, which is like one of the most powerful families in Prussia at the time. In the 18th century, her father was the Prince of Anhalt Zerps. Her family was very poor, um, but they were, she was literally first cousins with like the kings of Sweden. And um, her mother's brother, Christian, I think was his name, was actually engaged to a uh, the daughter of Peter the Great of Russia, a little girl named Elizabeth, who will hmm. play a big role. And so she she's related to so many important people that although her family is very poor, her prospects for marriage were very good and also were kind of essential for the family. So she was, her mom kind of, not kind of, her mom bred her to make this hugely advantageous marriage for the family's prospects. Um, and they very quickly like decided to try and pair her with the boy who would end up being a prospective heir to the Russian throne, a little boy named Peter of Holstein Gottorp, who's her second cousin. He was born, I think in 1728. Um, I'm just gonna read his name because it's equally German. Charles Peter Ulrich of Schleswig Holstein Gottorp. Honestly, yep. in comparison, that one's pretty, pretty run of the mill. I, I agree. I agree. Um, so he's related to the throne, to the his like great aunt was the so his great uncle then would, was the king of Sweden. His um, grandmother was the eldest daughter of Peter the Great. Like his, so, or no, it's, I think it's actually his mother was, um, what is it? Okay. His father's mother. So yes, his grandmother. <laughs> That's how that works. <laughs> was the eldest daughter of Peter the Great. Um, his mom died really quickly after his birth and his dad died when he was 11. Um, and his aunt Elizabeth, so Anna Petrovna's sister, who is his, the daughter of Peter the Great, she ends up taking the throne of Russia and she declares Peter's my heir because she doesn't have any heirs. And she was supposed to marry um, Princess Sophie's uncle who died right before um, their marriage took place. So she never actually ends up marrying, although she's kind of famed for her sexual exploits. She loved to dress up and have these things called like metamorphosis balls where women had to come dressed as men and men as women. It's all very diversive and I love it. Um, huh. She was also quite a fascinating 
figure, but she was a very important and like beginning of a reforming voice in Russia, which was essential at the time because they didn't really have that. Um, and so this prospect of a match was really important because what had actually happened is Peter was actually declared the king of Finland and was chosen to by like the Swedish parliament to become the heir to the Swedish throne. But Elizabeth's like, nah, I got him first. And so she <laughs> ends up, um, he has to, his succession rights to Sweden and to Finland are um, like completely, he gives them up and then she's able to um, declare him the heir to the empire of Russia. And so this little boy is kind of this huge linchpin in so many different European houses of royalty, which is really interesting because he's so unstable. Um, but so yeah, so when time when the time comes to try and find a person for him to marry, of course, they turn to a similarly well-connected but very poor princess, Princess Sophie, whose uncle, um, of course, was you know a very well-loved member of the family. And so they actually, Princess Sophie and Peter met when she was 10. She absolutely hated him. And her reasons were because he was pale, liked to drink a lot, and played with toy soldiers. He was 11 and was already I'm sorry, an alcoholic. I'm sorry, but she's right. I'm, she's right. I know. That's dangerous. I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> but, so the, the meeting didn't go well. There's like a tale that they had to stay at separate ends of a palace. And she's, you know, she's 10, he's 11. And she's like, he is a fool. And they definitely like, still yeah. made them marry though, right? Uh-huh, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, so <laughs> she ends up going to Russia. Um, I think it's like February 9th of 1744. And I again, the memoirs are so good. Um, she says, During the first 10 days, he, the Grand Duke, paid me much attention. Even then and in that short time, I saw and understood that he did not care much for the nation that he was destined to rule, that he clung to Lutheranism, did not like his entourage, and was very childish. I remained silent and listened, and this gained me his trust. I remember him telling me that, among other things, what pleased him most about me was that I was his second cousin, and that because I was related to him, he could speak to me with an open heart. Then he told me that he was in love with one of the Empress's maids of honor. Blah, blah, blah. I listened with a blush to these family confidences, thanking him for his ready trust, but deep in my heart, I was astonished by his imprudence and lack of judgment in many matters. <laughs> so this is when imagine, she first gets you imagine telling Russia. your spouse, like, I just I just feel so good that we can be open with each other and that I can tell yep. you how much I love other women more than you. Which is pretty much the sum like that total of their relationship well funny you should mention spouse they're not married yet in fact they're not even officially betrothed because empress elizabeth's got this whole thing going on and there's a whole ceremonial aspect of this so they cat uh, sophie well, also, who wait how old are they mm-hmm. at this point are they still she's children? 15 she's 15 he's 16 Oh, okay. So the line about him being childish, I was like, isn't he 10? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, though, but the line about him being childish is a through line uh, in this tale. (laughs) (laughs) Weirdly enough, doesn't go away. Um, (laughs) Well, you can't change who you are, you know? Once a child, always a child. (laughs) I mean, apparently. And, man, he's stuck by that. So... (laughs) Really quickly after she gets, like, the moment she arrives in Russia, Sophie gets really ill with pleurisy. And 
she's like becomes obsessed with bloodletting and it says it cures her um and her mom traveled with her but it ends up being a huge issue because her mom is a very divisive figure in court she is kind of like ends up being accused of spying for frederick um the great who's the king of prussia who's ironically russia's greatest enemy there's a franco-prussian no, not Franco-Prussian. There is a Franco-Prussian war, but there's a Ru- Russo-Prussian war going on like throughout this whole time. And and so there was a lot of stress on Sophie because her mother was constantly like making a lot of problems for her, getting her into debt, taking gifts that the Empress had given her, not telling Sophie, um, and literally almost caused the marriage to not happen. There's this tale that like someone burst into the room going, it's off, go home. You know, like it's not happening oh, wow. because she's there without a betrothal. And so Sophie being the very well-educated and very smart girl that she was immediately worked to uh, ingratiate herself with the Empress and the, and, and with the people at large. And so there's the, again, this like legend, I don't think it's actually legend. I think it's what happened that she used to walk around her bedroom in the palace barefoot at night, reciting lessons in Russian, trying to learn the language to get to know the people and be one with the people. And it actually led to a pneumonia episode, which ended up, of course, making the people love her so much that she was willing to put herself and her health at risk to get to know them. And she ends up mastering the language, but it's... Um, that's messed that's, up. That's a messed I up know. lesson. Well, yes. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah. We're talking about history. Are you sure? <laughs> and full of those, full of those. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So she's there for over a year before the betrothal actually takes place. When Sophie emerges from the pleurisy illness that nearly kills her and renews, not renews, founds her love of bloodletting, um, which like weirdly enough is something she talks about incessantly in her book. She's like, ah, yes, I had to be let again. I was like, calm down. Um, I would love to know what that's about because to me, horrifying well it's still they're still on you know it's the humors and before humors there's black bile i think yellow bile blood and um phlegm and she was if you're out of whack you have to let some of the blood out to balance them and women are like wet and cold and men are hot and dry there's a whole it's stupid anyway um, Warren's description of what medicine was until like a hundred years ago. <laughs> it's stupid. the thought of like leeches. I, it, yeah. Oh no, 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 this isn't leeches. They cut you with a knife. Oh, this is the, that. Okay, great. You they know, have like special bowls for it too. Like beautiful, like, like enameled bowls. of medicinal history that I've just like really like completely <laughs> blacked out. <laughs> Which is fair. Because like, I don't feel like fainting all the time, you know? Like, I don't feel like randomly remembering and then like being on the floor and waking up going, why did I faint? Oh, it's because I thought about the details of bloodletting again, you know? That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, please continue. No, it's good. Um, so when she emerges from this like pleurisy illness, um, her mom's like, I will get you a Lutheran because she was raised Lutheran because it's all Protestant there, a Lutheran mm-hmm. pastor. And she goes, no, give me my my Orthodox father. Um, and so she converts to Russian Orthodoxy, which you have to. Um, it's in 1744. So 
like quite a few months after she arrives in Russia, she officially becomes Ekaterina Alexeyevna, ooh, Russian, um, better known as Catherine. And after that, the betrothal finally took place. And then the marriage finally took place a full year later in August of 1745. And my note about the marriage was not a huge success. Um, so there's another like emotionally quote. for them or like everyone <laughs> like could all. tell that it wasn't or like the flowers didn't arrive that they wanted like what type of what I mean like apparently it was never consummated oh uh, I should have known that's what they meant but I'm gonna read just this fun little passage again um mm-hmm. I saw clearly that the Grand Duke loved me little 15 days after the wedding he again confided to me that he was in love with Demoiselle Carr um, in truth, I told myself that life with this man would certainly be very unhappy if I allowed myself tender feelings that were so ill repaid and that to die of jealousy was of benef- no benefit to anyone. I endeavored to conquer my pride, to not be jealous at all of a man who did not love me, but the only way to not be jealous was to not love him. If he wanted to be loved, it would not have been difficult for me. I was naturally inclined toward and accustomed to fulfilling my duties. But for this, I would have needed a husband endowed with common sense. And this man did not have any. Oh, my God. So. (laughs) That's a burn. That's a burn. It's so good. This book. Oh, God, it's so full of it. Um, So. She took to reading a lot, which is, this is the part where her love for enlight- the Enlightenment and the Philosophes kind of grew. She discovered Voltaire um, mm. and, of course, takes up a very famous correspondence with him later. Um, she read the Annals by Tacitus and says that it caused a revolt in her mind and that Tacitus was the first to, um, for, in her mind to understand that power politics as they were, were not as they should be. And also that it's okay that that's the case. And that in fact, that is the case, if that makes any sense. So, Mm -hmm. you know, people didn't act for their kind of professed idealism and for their reasons. And instead she was meant to, from this book, she learned to look for hidden motives and, and secretive um, things that people want. So it's a very interesting hmm. kind of thing that she really talks about Tacitus and, and understanding that. And, and yeah, so, you know, this is the moment where she starts forming kind of a faction at court, if that makes any sense. So there's kind of the Grand Duke, where at first he's a, more of a minor annoyance, and then it becomes a major issue. Um, and also with Empress Elizabeth. And so it takes them a really long time to have any children. And you might be going, Maura, you just said their marriage was never consummated. So of course that would make sense. And what I need to say is it took her a long time to find a lover to then have these children with. Um, So on Tinder. I mean, it was a rough go of it. 18th century Russia, you know, not a lot of options to swipe right on. Um, She ends up settling. I'm enjoying a mental image of like, just like men lined up in front of her. And she's like, "Mm." no, Mm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting though because I think you know she is such a highly sexual being. This is something that's a huge part of her and her mm-hmm. identity. And what's fascinating is that becomes the major weapon against her, as all powerful women are want to feel. 
the stings of in charge of selecting this person or do other people have a say in you know what genes are going to be mixed with hers to produce an heir so you're saying that like it's an official decision that was meant to be made i'm like someone said it it is or not no it's not it was purely why haven't you had any kids She's like, and she's okay, like, because my husband won't speak with me. Man. <laughs> well, and then she ends up finding, I think, genuinely looking for someone to love her. I, this is, I think, a huge part of her life is she grew up with a mother who saw her as a commodity and, and mm-hmm. there was affection there, but it was, I think, tainted. And and she, she wasn't as um, horrendously idealistic and naive as they made her out to be in that tv show but she definitely had elements of that in well because it makes her seem dumb frankly and i don't like that because she was extremely intelligent but you know there's yeah she she genuinely had this as we all do a yearning for connection and she finds it with the philosoph she finds this with um various friends at court and 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 the people that she cultivates in her life who Mm -hmm. one by one are systematically taken away from her when they get too close because the empress doesn't like it because Peter doesn't like it. And so when she finds, you know, she has a long list of lovers and because she's a woman ends up becoming a ruler, spoiler alert, um, you know, read a book, <laughs> it's history. Like it's not a spoiler, it happened a long time ago. <laughs> but, you know, because of that, I think what's really interesting is like people use it as a weapon and then like right. to make up a fact that she like fucked a horse and that's why she died. Mm-hmm. When that's of course absurd, and is just a tool to you being used by critics to weaponize against a powerful woman who ruled without a man, and in fact, you know, wasn't meant to actually be ruling on her own, but took power. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is this is I just want to go on a slight sidetrack. This is actually not the only time this happened in recent Russian history for them. This is a commonplace thing when Peter the Great died. His wife who had been a peasant who was Elizabeth, mm-hmm. empress elizabeth and um princess anna's mother um she ends up becoming catherine the first of russia she takes the throne not their children mm. so it's it's you see like and ends up going through the line so messily i mean it's it's crazy it's like then the i think the son of the one of his daughters from his, or no, his son from his first marriage inherits, but he like dies and then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
the infant son of his son. So his grandson ends up becoming king and his, the mother ends up ruling as like an Empress Anna for a while. That doesn't last very long. And then Empress Elizabeth, like it, it's so messy and convoluted, the, the family politics that like mm-hmm. what Catherine ends up doing is actually not that wild. Um, anyway, so she ends up, yeah, she ends up according, and it's it's specifically according to this last memoir that she did not, that their marriage was never consummated. Um, again, the the first child she ends up having is a boy named Paul. Paul apparently has quite the resemblance to Peter. So a lot of people say, no, it's actually, like, there's no way it's not Peter's. Um, but for her own part in the memoirs, Catherine heavily hints that it is <laughs> not <laughs> Peter's. So, um, and she ends up having her first sexual relationship with this guy whose last name I know isn't pronounced this way, but I don't care, Saltykov. I'll allow it. Thank you, Sergey. Um, and she, through the sister of Peter's mistress, ends up meeting a lot of factions who don't like Peter. And so at the time she's like found this lover, she's, um, you know, someone who's fulfilling that part of her that is, has been wanting. And, and she finds mm-hmm. the intellectual kind of side of her, herself as well. And, and it's not hard to not like Peter. Um, he really loved the Prussian emperor. He made like his male servants do morning drills every day. He made Catherine take part. And then sometimes he would make his dogs run drills all day and night. It was very horrible and distracting. Not he had the like dogs. A, Leave the dogs alone. He couldn't. He didn't. Mm-hmm. He made, um, I don't know. He like made people take part in like, he had this Prussian guard standing by always and they would just follow him around and he would like make them do military drills all the time he was like he had like adult men as his toy soldiers kind of thing um yeah so she ends up miscarrying twice Hmm. and they were both probably saltikovs saltikovs i wonder how you actually say it s-a-l-t-y-k-o-v i like the way you're saying it Neither so of us are experts, so there's never going to be a real answer. But from my Hooray. end, I'm highly no enjoying one, it. No one can ever know. Someone can, <laughs> and I could have looked it up. Whatever. Um, and so this is 1752 and 1753. So this is quite a while after her marriage. And and then eventually in 1754, she gives birth to Paul. Again, maybe it's Peter's. Maybe it's Salty Cobb's. We don't know. Um, probably Peter's, but she is insisting it's not, which is kind of great. Um, and then immediately after Paul, her son, is born, he's taken away from her by the Empress Elizabeth and raised and like swaddled in fabrics. And he's like always sweating. And like it's horrible what they do to this child. He becomes very sickly, obviously. Um, Wait, and do they have a reason? Or that's just like, they were literally swaddling the baby. Him. And smothering him um, to protect him, I don't know. But um, Catherine was left in the bed after giving birth, and no one was there to attend her. No one cared. She almost, you know, like literally, there's this really harrowing passage in her memoir about the fact that she was left for hours after giving birth alone. She didn't know. She was told she wasn't allowed to get up and go to her own bed, change her night clothes. She was sitting and everything. Like it's, and no one cared because she had finally done what she was meant to do, which was just to give an heir. 
And so it didn't matter what happened to her anymore. And it's genuinely heart-wrenching to read that passage. And she wasn't really allowed to see her son ever. And only in very like limited moments, that's literally her verbiage for what happened. And it's the beginning of a non-existent relationship with her children. And she ends up describing it as such where, um, you know, she would have been the mother she'd always wanted to be if she'd been given the chance, but she wasn't. And so it didn't matter to her if she was in the same palace or 50 miles away because she never got to see them anyway. So when people criticize her for being a distant mother, she's like, what did it matter where I was if I was in the same palace or not? I didn't see them. I didn't know them. Um, And yeah. So Saltykov kind of fades out of the picture and she ends up becoming a relationship with Poniatowski. It's a very famous guy. And it led to the birth of a daughter in 1757. And she's also taken away by Empress Elizabeth. Um, There is a really interesting passage where um, uh, basically the Grand Duke Peter says, God knows where my wife gets her pregnancies. I really do not know if this child is mine and if I ought to recognize it. And (laughs) to that, when that's related to Catherine, she goes, you are all impudent fools. Make him swear that he has never slept with his wife and tell him that if he makes this oath, you will immediately share it with this like horrible guy who reported on her constantly and the Grand Inquisitor of the Empire. And then to that response, again, these are go-betweens having to run back and forth to different wings of the palace to relay these messages, which like to me is so funny in my head. Beautiful. And then he goes, go to the devil and do not speak to me any more of this. I love this. I love it. So like her last breath, she's like, no, 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 guys, like, please don't associate me with this man. Like we truly, like whatever he tells you, we did not sleep together. I love it. Mm -hmm. And so this is, oh God, ready for this? The Grand Duke's remark made so made so imprudently angered me greatly. And from that moment, I saw I had a choice among three equally dangerous paths. Primo, to share the Grand Duke's fortune, whatever it may be. Secundo, to be exposed constantly to everything it might please him to devise for or against me. Tertio, to take a path independent of all events. To put it more clearly, it was a question of perishing with him or by him, or else of saving myself my children, and perhaps the state from the disaster that all this prince's moral and physical faculties promised. Wow. So she, this is again, like every little choice, every little thing that happens to her ends up very clearly leading her on this path. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, yeah. So she, her daughter, um, interestingly enough, she doesn't mention the fact that her daughter died two years later, um, by all accounts. I mean, Empress Elizabeth took her and named her after her own sister. Catherine, again, had nothing to do with her own children. Um, and when she died, there is absolutely no mention of it in her memoirs. It's as if the child wasn't even really born. She mentions that she was pregnant, but that's kind of it. And, hmm. um, by all accounts, though, in real life, it, it absolutely devastated her. So it's interesting because, again, this is a record of a woman who's justifying her own actions in life mm-hmm. and all the things that she did to take power and such. But it's also like she leaves out a very human side of her. So it's 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 very interesting right. to me. Um, she's right. She's like choosing what image of herself she puts forward into history. Exactly. And reading it again is such a fascinating thing because this is, it's every choice that she made is so utterly specific 
the mm-hmm. fact that she chose to not, you know, she chose to basically say nothing when her daughter died is, is to me very telling. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it, that, that seems to be one of the most human things. I mean, right? I've heard about her. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible yeah. thing to do. To, and also like, of, very cool mm-hmm. that she wants to be in charge. I mean, she knows that she's going to be talked about and she wants to be in charge of what, what is learned of her. Absolutely. Which we really, it feels like haven't had for any women, any of the women that we've spoken about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, there's this, this an element that of like happening on both of, our of this <laughs> podcast. No, I hope I hope everyone anger. knows that for some reason we decided to record this in the middle of like a very large storm, a legit <laughs> tropical storm slash hurricane question mark. Um, just to yeah, just to address yeah. the storm in the room. Ah, oh, the disgruntled banker in the room. Um, God, I think his name is probably like. I don't know. Devin. For anyway. Me, it was like Eugene Frederickson. Oh. I don't know. I I'm put some thought into it. I, w- I, I was like ready it. When, when, you, when you brought up the topic. I, I was ready with an answer. I have no doubt. You're extraordinarily creative. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so welcome. So anyway, so Catherine. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what the creaking is. The insane storm. Catherine has not been idle in this time. She's isolated during her marriage, constantly humiliated by her husband and by the Empress Elizabeth. She's always somehow almost in debt because no one gives her money. And when they do give her money, she has to then end up giving it to Peter somehow because he's her husband. Like, it's just, it's, she's absolutely miserable. She's literally begging to be sent home at some point. And what starts out is in 1758, Count Batu. But Sujiv, sure, um, who was a, became a great friend of hers, was a leader of one of the factions who like absolutely hated Peter, um, was actually arrested on very false charges. But again, the moment someone got close to Catherine, there was a way, they, someone found a way to get rid of them. Um, mm-hmm. He burns all this correspondence that he had with her. And she, in the memoirs, until the very last moment, doesn't really talk about what the correspondence entailed. Basically it was that he um, regarded, what is it? She says, he had regarded me personally as perhaps the only individual in whom the public had placed its hope when the Empress passed away. Excuse me. This and other similar reflections led him to form the plan whereby upon the Empress's death, the Grand Duke would be declared the rightful Emperor. And at the same time, I would be declared as sharing the government with him. So this is treason. But she says, oh, it was a dumb plan. I never agreed to it. I didn't really know about it. He wrote to me about it, but I I didn't know. And it ends up being found out. And then there's this, (laughs) so she's kind of at risk, not kind of, she's at risk here very much so. And then there ends up being this other incident at the theater where she wants to go to the theater. But when she does, her ladies in waiting have to go with her, her maids in waiting, she calls them. The problem Mm -hmm. is her husband likes sleeping with them. And if they have to go to the theater with her, he doesn't get to sleep with them. And so he gets very angry and says, you can't go to the theater. And she says, "Um, literally, I could not guess what pleasure he took in making me die of boredom alone in my room. Um, And it leads to this like, incident where Catherine finally stands up for herself and says 
she writes a letter to the empress in Russian. And she says about it, making it as moving as I could. She basically says, everything as my life is horrible. Um, I'm grateful for, you know, you've showered me with gifts and favors, but my husband has made my life absolutely horrendous and is making me look bad in your eyes. Um, mm. Send her, send me back to my family. Since I do not see my children, although I lived with them in the same household, it made no difference to me whether I was in the same place they were or a few hundred leagues away. Um, I know you take better care of them than I ever would kind of thing. And mm. the Empress actually decides to have an audience with her. And they have this discussion where basically the Empress goes, my nephew's an idiot and I understand. Um, what? Yeah, but that there's nothing really that you can do. And so Ugh. she, I know. So it's, it's this like deeply infuriating thing that happens. And um, she says, you know, after that, the Empress knew but didn't really do anything and says, in any case, my decision was made and I viewed my being sent home or not with a very philosophical eye. In whatever situation it should please Providence to place me, I would never find myself without those resources that intelligence and talent give to each according to his natural abilities. And mm. I felt the courage to rise and fall without my heart and my soul feeling either pride or vanity or, in the opposite case, shame or humiliation. I knew that I was human and therefore a limited being incapable of perfection. My intentions had always been honest and pure, as I had understood from the very beginning that to love a husband who was not amiable nor took any pains to be so was a difficult thing, if not impossible. And so when I came to Russia and during the first years of our union, had he shown the least desire to make himself bearable, my heart would have been opened when I saw that this was not to be. Um, it pained her. And then she goes, she says to herself in moments like this, Happiness and misery are in the heart and soul of everyone. If you feel misery, rise above it and act so that your happiness does not depend on any event. Mm. And so, again, this moment of adversity and she rises to it great, like hugely. And, and she ends up with the help of, you know, again, she's forming these factions. She's, and when she writes this letter to the Empress and gains the audience, Something like this happens. I think a similar situation happens twice. And then she ends up um, really gaining traction with those groups of people, the friends that she had. And she becomes more proactive in her approach. So before it was more about survival. And now right. it became definitely more about, you know, thriving. And I think what's really fascinating too is um, she kind of, Bores of Poniatowski ends up finding a new lover who's Grigory Orlov, who's a you know very able-bodied man. And so when Empress Elizabeth dies in 1762, Catherine is crowned as the Empress Consort. And barely six months later, all of the groups that Catherine had been cultivating during the, you know, how many years of her marriage, she'd been in Russia at that point, oh gosh, for nearly 20 years, I think. Mm -hmm. um, they become very alienated from Peter because even in his rule, he's obsessed with Prussia and King Frederick. He even, he literally stopped the war between them and then planned a war against Denmark, who were their natural allies against Sweden just because Prussia was like, this is better for us. And he's like, whatever you want, my, my dearest love, King Frederick. 
And so six months after, in July of 1762, Peter is in their, like, one of their palaces outside of um, Petersburg, and he's with his Holstein contingent, is what I call it. It's a group of soldiers. Mm-hmm. And Catherine and Orlov realize it's go time. And on July 9th, they move to overthrow him. She delivers this extraordinary speech to a regiment who then completely side with her, escort her to a barracks where the clergy ordains her as the sole occupant of the throne. She had um, Peter arrested. He signs a document of abdication. And eight days later, I think, um, he dies mysteriously. (laughs) What? Um, Probably, though, at the hands of Gregory Orlov's brother, Alexei. And um, so she leads a coup very successfully against her husband. And in regards to that, Frederick II of Prussia, when he heard of Peter's behavior, said Peter allowed himself to be dethroned like a child being sent to bed. And I think that image because he in everything he was, was infantile and and childish and immature it's interesting that that wasn't it it almost seems i mean i obviously wasn't there but it almost seems like there wasn't much of an attempt to hide that side of him i mean it seems like it was like pretty common knowledge which made her attempts to overthrow him i mean if there's already unrest and dislike that Mm -hmm. that helps her cause quite a bit yeah absolutely And my final little quote from her is, again, these memoirs were written as a justification for her life and her rule. Mm -hmm. And I I 100% understand the bias, um, but I just love, I love that it's her language. Um, She says, as a result of this episode, meaning a description of one of the times that the Peter is being ridiculous, there was no trust to be had in his Imperial Highness in anything. And things took such a turn that it was necessary to perish with him, by him, or else to try to save oneself from the wreckage and to save my children and the state. So again, it's this, I had to do this, not just for myself, not just even for my children, mm-hmm. but for my greater children, for Russia. And and I figured this would be a fascinating point to stop this episode. <laughs> this just Historical cliffhanger. Historical cliffhanger, because also this is about the time frame that the show is meant to be taking place in. Mm. And, you know, it's understanding the formation and the absolutely artificial creation of a leader. You know, someone who was born a tiny in a tiny little German principality as a princess Sophie could now be ruling millions and millions of people to me is like such a great self-made story absolutely my my main thing that i was wondering was i wonder if it was weird to like be raised as a sophie and then be called Catherine for a while that was just yeah but i feel like actors do that right when they change their names i guess so it is weird though i don't know i can't imagine like growing up as a chloe and then all of a sudden somebody decides that my name is like angelica and then i have to go she chose the name okay fine no but i do i do completely understand what you're saying i feel like you get used to it no but when they make you take a french name this is not an experience that i relate to oh 
I had to, even though my name like somehow works in a French accent. What do you they mean made they us like take a different French name names. in a French class? They made us take French names. I had that in my Chinese class, but that kind of made more sense. Well, they did it in French class too. Mine was shockingly no Marie. Wait, why can't they just say your name with a French? Wait. My name works in a French We're accent. We're going to talk about I don't that know. later because that, <laughs> that's really messing with me. It's okay. But it's the same concept. You just get used to hearing it. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. Make sense. <laughs> also, again, time and time again, a thing that I have to grapple with is history was different, you know? It's yeah. probably fine. It was well, probably fine. She adopted the name. And the name was actually the first. Yeah, the fact that she had agency in choosing it also is, is a good piece of information. And the first single regnant ruler of Russia, who was a woman, I believe, was Peter the Great's wife, Catherine. Mm. And I believe in my soul, because I'm obsessed with her, that she took inspiration from that. We love it. We love her mm-hmm. and we love it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so we will resume next time. Yes. Honestly, at this point, Maura, I think you do. I think you have to face the banker at this point. I think I have to. He's he's no he longer disgruntled. He's angered so badly. I couldn't agree more. I guess we'll let you know what happens. Yeah. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We will be including pictures of Catherine and yes. um, important things on our lovely posts. So send us questions Instagram. if you have any. Mm-hmm. Instagram, directly badass broads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 